to be with you. All right, Newark Radio, live and in person. We are here today. Got a good topic. Glad you're with me because I'll tell you what, things we talk about here on Newark Radio, they're really for the heart, you know. Kind of build up your heart, build up your spiritual fiber so you can be the person that you want to be and, you know, the person that God wants you to be too. So important. We're in a series entitled, Let's Meet Jesus Again for the very first time. Today we're going to see how he prays for his disciples. It's nice to know when someone prays for you, isn't it? Perhaps someone told you that they were praying for you. Maybe they told you in person. Maybe they sent you an email or a text message. Is it, hey, I'm praying for you. It's very encouraging to hear all that. And uh, I think you like it when you hear someone say, I'm praying for you. I know I do. Well, we left Jesus last time. He's praying to his Father. And he was praying about his mission here on the earth. And we ended by noting the end of that prayer in John 17, verse 4. He said to his Father, I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Jesus sees his mission as completed (laughs) when as yet he had not yet gone to the cross. He said, I finished the work, but no, he didn't really finish it. But you know what? That's how committed he was. That's commitment. When you know it's going to get done before it's done, that's commitment. Rare quality today? Perhaps. In verse 5, he said, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory that I had with you before the world was. Well, there's Jesus' preeminence. What does that mean? It means he's God. It means he was always around. There was never a time when Jesus wasn't around. So when he says, Glorify me with the glory that I had before the world was. You know what he's saying? Bring me home. It's time to come home. It's time to come home, Father. I want to come home. Wow. See, Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he was from. He knew what he came to do. And he also knew where he was going. And we added that we should know that too. What Jesus knew about himself, we should know about us also. So now he's going to continue to pray, and he turns his prayers from his mission to his disciples. He said in verse 6, I have manifested, which means I have shown forth your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. See, that's the ecclesia, the church. We're called out of the world. Though we're in it, we're out of the world. Okay? He said, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So Jesus, in this prayer, he's saying, he revealed the Father's name to the disciples. That's important. you got to know who God is. Now, what does the word name signify? It's the word onoma. And it signifies not just that which someone is called by, 
but it signifies character, rank, authority. Jesus represented God the Father in just about every way. See, it's good to know the name of God. You know why? Because it does th three things for us. When you know God this way, it'll do three, three things for you. Number one, it gives comfort. As we're told in Psalm 910, those who know thy name put their trust in thee. Now, not know thy name, what is God called, but what is God like? That's the thing. Oh, a lot of people know what God is called. What's he called? God. Big deal. What's he like? Do you know what God is like? That's the key. That's where our confidence comes from. That's where our comfort comes from. Which leads me to the next blessing of knowing God's name. Confidence. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some boast in chariots. Some boast in horses. Oh, but we boast in the name of the Lord. And what's he saying? It's not what we've got, it's who we know. You want to get through life? It's not what you've got. It's who you know. Do you know the Lord? Not do you have the world's goods. Do you know God? That's where your confidence comes from. And then thirdly, knowing God's name gives us a testimony. Yeah, Psalm 22. I will tell of thy name to my brethren. Do you ever find yourself with nothing to talk about? Okay, talk about God. <laughs> talk about God. Hey, say, hey, let me tell you what I learned about God. I went to church last week. Let me tell you what I learned about God. That's your testimony. That's what makes up life. So Jesus has done this for us. And that's why he could say in John 14, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. Oh, but the Father who's abiding in me, he does his works. Jesus was completely sold out to the Father, completely given over. Father, what you want me to say, I'll tell him. What you want me to do, I'll do it. And he did it. And you know, by doing that, you know what he did? He won the disciples. Yeah, he won them to his cause. Secondly, in the Old Testament, God's name was so sacred, you know, it wasn't even spoken. It was Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. -H. As a matter of fact, it was only spoken by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. They wouldn't even say his name. It was so holy and special. Oh, we've come a long way, haven't we? Now we throw his name around like a curse word. So Jesus comes on the scene and he said, I've told you God's name, which means I've shown you his character. You know what God is like. He's saying, I have brought the invisible God so close that now even you can speak to him by name. Remember the veil? That veil is going to be torn when Jesus dies on the cross, demonstrating access to God. Whoever wants access to God has it. That will be shown. So Jesus said in verse 7, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For the word which you have given me, I have given to them. 
and they receive those words and they truly understand that I came forth from you, Father, and they believed that you sent me. Oh, man, there's the key, folks. That's the key. That Jesus came forth from God. That he was sent by God. That's the key. Coming up on the Easter celebration, Jesus was sent by God. This is what we celebrate. See, these passages illuminate for us the meaning of discipleship. Jesus has made 11 disciples, 11 men, that are completely given over to follow him. Let's talk about discipleship a little bit. Sometimes that word scares people. They think they have to write a book or do a book report or go over some kind of Christian manual. Oh, man. Let's learn about discipleship. Discipleship is based on the realization that Jesus came forth from God. The disciple sees God in Jesus and is aware that no one is one with God as Jesus is. That's where it begins. That Jesus and his Father, they are linked together. They are one. He even said it. I and the Father are one. He said that one time. So that's where discipleship begins, by understanding the intimate relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Okay? Number two, the disciple is obedient to God's Word as he or she hears it in Jesus. So we're talking about our part in knowing who Christ is in God and then receiving the Word of God. And not only do we receive it, but we abide in it. You accept Jesus' mastery. In other words, his mastery over you. And you desire to do what he says. That's it. So, you know, it's about, okay, I'm going to learn God. I'm going to learn what he says. And then I'm going to do it. That's a disciple. That's a disciple. Anybody can be a disciple. You know what it begins with? The choosing. Thirdly, you know what? Discipleship is destined by God. It doesn't mean that God chooses who will or will not be a disciple. He doesn't do that. God doesn't pick people. God doesn't say, well, you're going to be a disciple, but you're not. No, not at all. It's his plan. Here it comes now. This is where we pay attention. It's his plan that believers, followers of Christ, put themselves on the path of discipleship. Oh, we put ourselves on the path of discipleship. It's a volitional thing. It's something that we choose to do. Yeah, you're born again and saved, but what are you going to do with it? Are you going to advance? It's like buying a big, beautiful house. And you walk in the front door and you stand on the threshold, and this whole beautiful house is in front of you. But if you stay on the threshold, you'll never enjoy the house. you got to walk in. Walking in is discipleship. You can get saved. Okay, you're going to heaven. But if you stay there and don't become a disciple, you'll never enjoy 
your salvation. Jesus said in Luke 6.40, everyone, that's everybody, right? When he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now, who's our teacher? It's Jesus. So now the object is to be like him. That's where we're going. We're marching toward Christ-likeness. So now, question, can you see God's plan for your life? He might not he might not make clear the specifics, you know, the real specific things, but he does make clear the general, the generalities. Right? And what are the generalities? To know God, to learn his word, to walk in his ways. Those are the generalities. Okay? As many things are with God concerning us, it still remains a choice. Still a choice. God gives us choices. That's why the rewards in heaven are so great, because they're based on our choices. Oh, yeah. What do we do? What choices did we make on the earth which warrant rewards? Rewards come from our choices. Good choices, good rewards. Bad choices, eh, no rewards. Many parents dream about a future for their children, right? There's some families, right? They have a, a family business. And they dream that, oh, I want my kids to carry on the business, you know, maybe take over the car lot, take over the law firm, or the family store, or the farm. You know, we want the next generation to take over. That's the parents' dream for the kids. Now, we don't know if the kids are going to do it. They might have other plans. They might say, no, I will use my free will to do something else. Okay. Some parents, they want their children to go further in education than they did. That's noble, but the choice still remains with the child. They might say, yes, I will do that. Or they might say, no, I don't think I want to do that. And just like parents has dreams for their children, God has his plan for every person. And it's outlined in Ephesians 2 verse 10. You know what Paul said? He said that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Oh, which God prepared beforehand. What's beforehand? Probably eternity past, because he knew who would be saved, that we should walk in them. So it's like, wow, in eternity past, God already had a course prepared for me. The way that I should go. Now, my free will will determine if I go that way or not. Same thing. It's a free will. If I go that way, ooh, great is your reward in heaven. I like that. If I don't go that way, cast them into outer darkness. <laughs> There's weeping and gnashing of teeth over there. <laughs> you don't want that. I don't want that. One person said, fate is what we are compelled to do. Destiny is what we are meant to do. Hmm. And you know, a lot of that has to do with how we're wired. You know, we're all different, thankfully. <laughs> Good thing. We're all different. We all have different temperaments. We have different skills and abilities and intellects and you know god made us that way yeah god made us all individuals because he has an individual plan for our lives and i'm going to tell you who's going to regret 
their life when they get to heaven. The spiritual couch potatoes, they will. They're going to be like, oh, why was I so slothful? Why was I so lazy? Why was I so selfish? Why didn't I get with the program? They're going to be regretful. You think there's no regret in heaven? Oh, there is. Because when those rewards are burned up and there's wood, hay, and straw, and then it turns into ashes, let me tell you something. There's going to be some regret. There'll be regret. So, you know, our God made us the way we are, whether you like it or not. Now, we are flawed. We have a sin nature. So as we journey toward Christ's likeness, you know what happens? We kind of smooth out the edges. You know, we all have rough edges. I got some rough edges. Trying to sand those things down, man. They, they put up a fight sometimes. Can't get rid of them. Keep working. Keep working. I remember my uncle had a body shop, fixed cars. And when I was a young kid, I'd go help him. And man, I loved my uncle, but I hated the work. Because he had to have a lot of patience. And he would say, okay, Dave, take this sandpaper and go over there on that fender. And, you know, it was wet sandpaper. And go sand the fender. Okay. Okay, Uncle Tony. I go, shh. Five minutes later, okay, I'm done. He come over. Oh, no, you're not done. You got to keep sanding. Oh, all right. Shh. Five minutes later, okay, I'm done. Oh, no, no, you're not done. Keep sanding. I'll be there all day. Shh. I say, forget this stuff. I'm not doing this for the rest of my life. But he had the patience of a saint. And he sanded that thing down. It was beautiful. It was brand new. Looked like factory. But I I wasn't cut out for that. So we're all different. But it's work. You have to go forward. And with Christ likeness, we got to keep going forward. Like sanding down that fender. Got to keep going forward. Can't give up. Can't quit. So what have we seen Jesus pray for? For his disciples. What have we seen well, he revealed the nature of his father and the character of his father. He, he's saying that he has shown them who God is and what God is like. That's a beautiful blessing right there. To know who God is and what God is like, like many of you are learning right now in your faithful journey and you're committed to church and you're studying the scriptures and you want to learn who God is and what God is like, that's commendable. Commendable. He also told them that they are a gift from the Father. Wow. They're a gift. Father, you gave them to me. And you know what Jesus said? Thank you. <laughs> you know what I'm glad he didn't say? Oh, man, God. Dad, couldn't you do better than this? <laughs> he, said, he said, thank you. Wow. He was thankful. How much he loves them. And you know, we're part of that gift too. And that's how much he loves us. We're part of the gift. They have proven to be disciples, pupils, Jesus said. He said, they've proven themselves. Oh, they've been through it. They didn't get it right all the time. But you know what they are? They're not perfect. But they're still disciples. They're still disciples. They're still following. They're still learning. They're still growing. See, here's the key, folks. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't end your journey before you get there. 
Would you, if you were flying in a jet plane and you were going somewhere, would you want the pilot to end the journey before you got there? Like, no. <laughs> Especially if he was over the ocean. Like, no. Get to the airport. Right? So, you know, finish the journey. That's what you want to do. Finish the journey. How important. Jesus said in verse 9, I am praying for them. Oh, I'm not praying for the world. You know what the world is? It's the cosmic system. It's Satan's system. Jesus is praying for his followers. That's who he's praying for. And you know what else? He has great confidence in his disciples. I believe that's why he thanked God for them. He had confidence in them. Think about it. These 11 men, 11 Galilean peasants, basically, except maybe Matthew. And after three years of training, they're ready to take on the world. I'm like, what? 11 men, after three years of training, they're ready to take on the world. And you know what? They did. Here we are, 2,000 years later, and we're telling their story. We're talking about them. See, that was enough for Jesus. If Jesus can get people to follow him, that's all he needs. That's all. If he can get you, oh, favored listener, to follow him, that's all he needs. He'll do the rest. You follow Christ. And he'll do the rest. And he has great confidence in you. That's right. Just like he had in those Galileans. He's got confidence in you. Because he knows who you're becoming. He knows what you're becoming as a Christ follower. You have what it takes to impact, here it comes, the world. You say, who, me? Yes, you. So this tells us three things about Jesus. Number one, he found 11 men who believed in him and trusted in him. See, that was their good point. They believed in Jesus and they trusted in Jesus. And we know that because what did they do? They gave up their livelihoods and they followed him. So that's where it begins. So maybe the question is, do you really believe and do you really trust in Christ to follow him? Because if you're not following, you're not trusting. It's like, well, God, I'm, 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 I'm going to get saved, but I don't know if I trust you enough with my life. I think I'll do my own thing. I think I'll just sit here on the couch. That's lack of trust. You know, trust is, Peter, get out of the boat. Come on, man, walk on the water. You can do it. That's trust. Come out of your comfort zone. That's trust. Okay? So that's number one. He found 11 men who believed in him and trusted in him. Number two, we learn about Jesus that he had hope for the future, the future of mankind. And you know where the hope is based on? These men. I'm like, are you kidding me? No. These 11 Galileans... Ten peasants, one rich guy, tax collector. But he became a peasant, I guess, because he stopped working. He stopped collecting taxes. 
And what did Jesus do? He had hope for the future because of them. Wow. You know, we're still the body of Christ. And the hope hope for the future is in the body of Christ. It's in the church. And when I say church, I mean church in two ways. Number one, all the members of Christ's body, worldwide, internationally. And number two, the local assembly. Because the local assembly needs committed people in order to function and to go forward. You know, we have a lot of people in Christianity, they just go along for the ride. They're sitting in the stands watching everybody else try to change the world. And they're clapping. But imagine if everybody in the stands came down and helped with the work. Wow. We might get some quicker changes going on. Then the third thing we learn about Jesus, belief in God and belief in people is one of the most uplifting things a person can have. Jesus, yes, he believed in God, but he believed in his people. And he believed in his men. He knew these guys could do it. Three years with Jesus, and they became Christ-like. And then when the Holy Spirit came, look out. That was all they needed, man. The Holy Spirit came, and they just took off. So this makes the saying true. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Jesus had a small beginning, but look at the world today. The greatest accomplishments in this life started out with a small beginning. And if you're part of what God is doing, let me tell you something. You are blessed. And the blessings will come. Yes, they will. Live in the blessing and be part of what God is doing. Don't stand idly by. If he affected the whole world with 11, imagine with the thousands and the millions of us if we become disciples, the difference that we can make in the world. Let me tell you something. When you make a difference in the world, you're making a difference in yourself. That's right. You're making a difference in yourself. Hey, you in the whole club? Join the whole club. Get a devotional every day, Monday through Friday, in your email box. Go to newhopecc.tv, click giving, then click e-giving, Choose Radio Fun, $3 a week, that's it. Hit Submit, put your info in there, and you're in the club. Thanks for coming along. I'll see you next time for more of New Hope Radio.